We get it poppin', homie, day and night. Got the party jumpin', bout to break the ice. Stay up on my grind, that's my way of life. I got tunnel vision, I'ma chase that ray of light. I just think the Packers are now more worse off than they were before. Jobs in Arizona are on the line. And they need an offensive line. Yes, they do. They need an offensive line. You know what I brought in my notes? O-line, 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 and then O-line again for the next 50 picks. I don't care if it takes 10 years to build this line. Every pick must be offensive line until they get it right. What is going on, everybody? You are back on Jake's Takes, the podcast presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. As always, I'm Jake Serrano. Happy to be back with you. Happy Saturday. Ready to get this weekend rocking and rolling. Uh, long, stressful week. I don't know for my guest today if it was the same, but for me, a lot, a lot of work. A lot, a lot of work has uh, has gone into this week. Not only for this show, uh, for some other shows I'm doing uh, on campus at OCC, um, where I go to school. Just, uh, just a lot of stuff going on, and the weather's been terrible. I've been fighting in a, uh, I've been fighting bad allergies all week, so I've been, uh, been down in the dumps. But I'm fighting, I'm fighting, right, Jared? I'm, <laughs> I'm fighting, I'm fighting. So you know, let's let's get right to it. I got some, I got two Broncos fans to introduce today. I'm gonna introduce the first one right now, Fawad Farouk. He's been on the show before. Fawad, welcome back. Happy to have you. How you doing today? What's going on, Jake, man? Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a rainy day down here in Brooklyn, New York, too. But, you know, I'm just excited to get talking sports, you know, huge March Madness tournament coming to an end. We got our two champions from the women's and men's side. I'm just excited to get talking sports and get it going over our mock drafts and see what we got going on with the NFL draft right around the corner. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty rainy here, too. So <laughs> trying to bring a little excitement uh excitement to the show. So we got Jared Danko coming on today. We're going to, I'm going to bring him on, introduce him just in a little bit, but me and Fawad, we're going to start off with our first segment. So here we go. Fawad, we had the March Madness tournament this whole month of March. Exciting stuff. We know Kansas, they won in the men's tournament and South Carolina, they won in the women's. So Fawad, I'm going to ask you first, what did you enjoy most about the tournament this year, whether it was on the women's or men's side, what was the most enjoyable thing about the, uh, the tournament this year? I mean, overall, when you just look at March Madness, it's just a culmination of so many different things. We see so many coming out stories. We see teams that we've never heard about all season long coming out and showing out. Teams like St. Peter's and like the Cinderella stories that are created throughout this tournament, it just shows the beauty of the tournament, how much it takes like to get to a certain point in this tournament. And when you look at St. Peter's, they took down Purdue, they took down Murray State. And for me, overall, it's just about how the culmination of these teams just coming together and creating a great environment, but most of all, that underdog mentality that's created throughout the tournament and showing their there to win it all just like St. Peter's was able to do so the big part for me was definitely the Cinderella stories that are created throughout this tournament yeah I hear you that's that's probably the theme every year going into it and uh it it gets more exciting every year as it goes on me being from New Jersey and it's got to hit home for you because you're you're right in Brooklyn but uh the St. Peter's run I mean just 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 marvelous just just remarkable, a remarkable run that nobody expected. I'm, I'm sure you didn't expect it. I didn't expect it. Um, just a small, a small college team coming out as a 15 seed, running it all the way up to the elite eight. Uh, just, just a wonderful run. And uh, 
you, you know, you don't get a lot of that. And, and going on the women's side too, when I, when I was watching Iowa and, and, and Creighton, just amazing games. You see, you know, the 15 seeds coming at it, a 10 seed over a seven. Sometimes, you know, you don't see it like that. You don't see that a lot in sports, but, but in March Madness, you definitely see it a lot more and, and really it brings the excitement level up. So, uh, yeah. And uh, Kansas has come back in the, in the, in the championship game. Wow. Let me tell you, I, I was a little in and out in the first half and I got up in the second half. I said, oh man, I can't, I can't fade out for this game. I need to get up. I need to get ready for the second half. I think what I don't know if I'm wrong in this, but I think it was 40, 25 going into halftime. And then, man, I said, you know what? The, just for some reason, I felt, I felt like they, the Jayhawks, they, I mean, they're going to do it, but I, I just didn't know how I said, they're going to have to stop UNC. They're just gonna have to pile on the points, right? 20 to six run coming out of halftime. Amazing stuff, which is going to bring us into our next segment. So for what do you take away from some of these, from the two title games we saw? Do you have any takeaways or anything uh, you wanted to say about them? I mean, overall, what I really have to say is, you know, we discussed this in last week's roundtable. You know, I said it very clearly that Kansas was the most complete team in this tournament. And the part in which they faced so much adversity in the second half coming out and facing a 15-point deficit, this team just didn't flinch at all. And that's in large part due to their veteran leadership that they have on their team. A lot of veterans on their team with Ochai Akbaji, David McCormick, Christian Braun, and Jalen Wilson and Remy Martin. You know, this team was just poised to win it all. And they got a head coach in Bill Self that just has been in the big time moments. The thing that I felt that North Carolina didn't do well was... You know, they had a first year head coach in Hubert Davis that just struggled to make adjustments. And those are the things that stood out to me the most when you have an experienced head coach. And then on the other side where you have a coach that's just getting into the game, getting into the mix. We saw North Carolina face adversity in this tournament against Baylor. They had a 25 point lead in that second round game against Baylor. But luckily they were able to pull it out in overtime. But, you know, mistakes just caught up to them in this one. And, you know. It was just Kansas pulling away late in this one. And like I said all year, they were a model of consistency all year long. And I said, like I said, Akbaji, McCormick, they're two of the best big men in the country in college basketball. And that's why they were able to be so explosive and Kansas was able to pull away and win this championship. Yeah, ooh, the uh, the uh, the round table we did coming back to bite me just a little bit. But I did say Kansas was going to beat Villanova, but man, Duke, Duke really... Just missed the mark, but yeah, I mean, an amazing run uh, from Kansas. They, I think they outscored them in my, my notes. I wrote that 47 to 29 in the second half against UNC. That's, that's remarkable. And from what I remember from the game, they were outpacing them. Uh, just the speed of the game Kansas brought was just, it was too much for UNC. And not only that, I mean, the Tar Heels were just missing way too many shots. And finally, Kansas was finally able to get in the paint in the second half and, uh, and turn the tides pretty much the game uh on the women's side the women's game was awesome i mean when you have a a a player like Aliyah boston right and she's the the best player on the women's sides in the country okay and she is not the leading player on that team in terms of points she had a double double right helping the team in other ways and then you have uh destiny henderson coming out and taking over for this team that's what i call balance okay this team this gamecocks team had to rise up from last year after their loss, the championship loss to Stanford after a, a missed shot, a last second missed shot, they didn't make it and Stanford wins, right? They come back, you have to do a whole season over again after all of that. 
and they push through and they're the number one team and Don Staley, the head coach, they're pushing, right? And you have the number one player in women's uh, basketball and she is not your dominant player in, and she was dominant, but that's destiny Henderson took over that game. That's what I call a balanced team. And I'm pretty sure that they over, they outshot, uh, excuse me, UConn in the, at the free throw line, like 26 to four. They had, I think they had about 26 shots to four shots on that, right? And UConn's, I mean, it was just absolutely remarkable journey. And not only they had to come back from last year. So both stories from both sides uh, really just make the whole tournament for me and uh, really, really something spectacular to watch truly. Um, but for why, do you got any final thoughts on that? I mean, definitely from the women's side, you know, Aaliyah Boston, she asserted her overall dominance in this series. She dominated. The key stat in this game was definitely uh, the rebounding disparity. UConn was out rebounded by 25 altogether. And South Carolina was just able to manhandle them on the offensive boards, grabbing 15 more rebounds. Like I said, Aaliyah Boston to come out from last year, missing that layup to advance to the NCAA championship game. And then, you know, just showing her overall dominance this year, you know, it, it was definitely a redemption tour. But for me, I had UConn winning this year just because of their coaching pedigree. You know, their coach Gino Ariema, 11 national titles heading into this game. One of the greatest college coaches we have. And he was 11-0 and in championship game. This was his first loss in the NCAA championship game. You know, the way they were just able to contain Paige Beckers and, you know, dominate overall on the defensive end, it was just undeniable. You know, they really uh, deserve this championship overall. Credit to Dawn Staley. Destiny Henderson had her best career performance, 26 points. They were able to dominate the boards decisively. And overall, it's just a credit to South Carolina on an incredible college basketball season and an even better finish. Yeah, like I said, remarkable runs by both. And uh, I finally got something right in my bracket. So I picked the game to win from the beginning. I finally got something right. At least, at least I can have a little pride in something. But we're going to move on to our next segment. Here we go. So I got Jared Danko coming on with us today, my second guest of the day. Jared, how are we doing? Welcome back. We are doing pretty good today because we are less than three weeks away from the NFL draft, and I am pumped. I am ready to watch it and see how it all unfolds. Right. I'm excited, Jared. We know we talked some football last week, and uh, and that's why I brought you both on the show. Two Broncos fans. I don't even think the Broncos have a first-round pick, but that's okay. They got Russell Wilson now. That's all that matters. But we're ready to rock and roll here on this Saturday for you. We're going to talk some mock drafts, some sweet, sweet mock drafts on this Saturday. And uh, I don't even know where to start. Where should I start? Uh, well, I, I'm going to start. I'm going to start with my, my mock. I'm gonna, that's where I'm going to start right there. So I don't know if you, you guys definitely looked at my mock. I know if Wad texted me about my mock. My mock was a little crazy. Had a lot of trades in there. Uh, so I'm just going to go off my top 10. And then everyone else can go off the top 10. We'll all, we'll all feed off each other from there. So I had, the, uh, I had the Lions trading up. I really think this is a juicy spot, this number one spot, right? Because uh, because I don't think it's I don't think it's a surefire pick this year like Trevor Lawrence was last year for the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars could go all line, right? Or they could take Aiden Hutchinson, right? I, I don't think there's a a a certainty at that pick. And if you're the Lions, and the way I was thinking about this, trying to make it a little more creative and fun for the show, but 
I thought this was the best possible scenario, even though they're only moving up one spot. I don't know how much that would cost them to move up one spot from two to one, but you get a game changer in Aiden Hutchinson. You, you, you are building towards change, finally changing the franchise. You have to change the tone of the franchise and he will do that for you. He is dominant. He's probably the best player or one of the best players in the draft. So if you have the opportunity and the Jaguars are uncertain, I think you absolutely trade up to get them, even if it's only one spot. Uh, I had the Jaguars taking a tackle out of North Carolina. I think they need the, I think the tackles are, are going to go off the boards quick. I don't know what a lot of other people think, but there's a need to protect your young quarterback in Jacksonville. And you have to, you have to go after it. And a couple, uh, I think it was like a year or two ago, the Jaguars were probably dead last in the league in pass protection. Now they did, they did sign Cam Robinson. They franchise tagged them and brought him back. But I think if you bring in the tackle, um, you add more protection to your young quarterback and you have, a, you can uh, trade back at a couple more picks in the draft. But I'm just going to quickly go over my, my rest of my picks. I got Evan Neal from Alabama, the tackle. He's going to Houston. Again, you build around your young QBs or whoever's going to come in there and you build around on the offensive side. Games are won in the trenches. Okay. This is crazy. I don't think anybody has ever put this in their mock yet. I don't know. I got the Chargers traded all the way up to four. I think they need a another tackle on that line. You were going all in. That AFC West is all in. That AFC is all in. I think you need the surefire tackle. You need to go all in. You just missed the playoffs last year. Now it's now or never, honestly, for the for the Chargers, especially in that division. Again, I had another trade coming up. This might have blown you guys away, but I don't know. I got the Packers coming up. Packers again. They just signed Aaron Rodgers to a three-year deal. Again, this you, you the Packers, you have to get something done at one point. You can't keep telling me you're a contender and then keep going to the playoffs and losing, right? You got to make moves at one point. You just lost Devontae Adams. You just lost uh MVS at wide receiver. Your 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 depth there is low. You have to pick it up. And I think Garrett Wilson's probably one of the better wide receivers in this draft. You go there. I had the Jets coming back in from the Panthers. I think the Panthers need to pick up more picks in this draft. Now, whether or not they draft a quarterback, that's onto them. Does the rookie quarterback make them better than Sam Darnold? They're probably at the same level. Does Kenny Pickett give you the best chance? Maybe. But I think the Panthers need to trade back, get more picks. The Jets come up. They get Sauce Gardner, fill the need. One of the best corners in this draft. Uh, probably going to be a lockdown corner for years to come. And the Jets finally can lock that up. At safety for the Giants, Kyle Hamilton comes in. One of the better defensive backs in this draft. He's rangy, he's long, he can play all over the field, and he's probably the best player on the board at that point, and the Giants pick him up. Drake London going to the Falcons, perfect scenario. They need a wide receiver over there in Atlanta. They, he, after what happened to Calvin Ridley, um, it's, it's, a, it's a small and, – and they don't have Russell Gage, he left, so bringing in a big wide receiver like that would help. Bring on K, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, the defensive end for Seattle again. Could draft a quarterback here, but I think he's the best player on the board. And again, you got to remember the next year, there's good quarterbacks next year as well. Seattle did ask for Drew Locke in that trade. So I think they bring in one of the better players on the board. And I think the Jets are going to draft a wide receiver unless they don't trade for one now. And Chris Olave, again, the best wide receiver at the board at the time. I love Chris Olave. So I'm sending him to New York. Fwad, I know you had your hand up. I, was, I wasn't trying to hold you up, but go ahead. I mean, you know, I, I definitely like the way you broke down this mock draft. But, you know, for me personally, this is going to be a draft where a lot of teams are going to be able to address their needs. We, we look at this draft 
they're basically a lot of edge rushers on this team. This this draft is very heavy on edge rushers. You have uh, Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau, Jermaine Johnson. There's going to be a huge, huge uh, upgrade on the safety positions. A, a lot of teams are going to have a lot of chances to upgrade throughout this draft. And you look at Kyle, ha- Kyle Hamilton, Jaquan Brisker, Daxton Hill, Jalen Pitter. And then you look at the offensive line. You know, the teams that are really contending for a championship and you have a good quarterback under center, you're going to need to address the offensive line position heavily because if your quarterback is not protected, we know that it's not going to end well when you're in the playoffs down the stretch and your quarterback needs that protection. We saw that in this year's Super Bowl with Joe Burrow getting sacked about seven times by Aaron Donald and that Rams defensive line. So I think that offensive line position is the biggest need for most teams to address in this year's draft. So I kind of, I kind of got, got a little, I hear you. I kind of got a little way with from, from the main question. Fouad and, and Jared, before I, uh, before I start rambling on again, T- just give me your, I know Fouad, you just gave me one, but your biggest takeaway from your, your mocks, both of yours, and then we'll get into other people's. Um, Fouad, Jared, whoever wants to start, but your biggest takeaway, or just give me a synopsis of your, of your mock. Um, I think overall that, this this draft is going to be really unexpected. We're going to see a lot of unexpected things take place. A lot of teams jockeying for position, making trades. In my mock draft, I didn't specifically do that because I didn't know exactly how it would plan out. I think personally, the quarterback position is going to be something that a lot of teams are going to be looking out for. I know a lot of teams including the Falcons, we have Seattle, we have Pittsburgh. There are a lot of question marks at that quarterback position with what these teams want to do. But, you know, in my mock draft, I wrote specifically that I have Falcons trading up with Houston and they select Malik Willis. And I did that specifically because, you know, that quarterback position needs to be addressed in Atlanta. I know Arthur Smith, you know, he had Matt Ryan last year, didn't hold up too well. There are, there's a wide receiver concern in Atlanta, but I think that Malik Willis is going to be a game changer in this year's draft. And whoever ends up getting Malik Willis, I think he's going to be a starter out of the gate. And I think the jockeying for Malik Willis is going to be the question mark. Who is going to trade up to get this quarterback? This uh, This guy is a dual threat quarterback that's been able to throw the ball consistently, run the ball, for me, he's a Lamar Jackson 2.0. The guy does everything you ask in a dual threat quarterback. And when you look at it on paper, that's what this league is leaning towards nowadays. You look at Lamar Jackson, you look at Kyler Murray, you look at Patrick Mahomes. These guys are not just known for being pocket passers. They're known for being able to run the ball out of the pocket, make decisions quickly, and being able to be mobile with the football and if you're going to look at this court this quarterback position in the draft it's going to be need to be it's going to need to be addressed and Malik Willis is going to be a big part of it yeah I I think it's I think it's hard for us to grade players and to evaluate their value uh, because obviously we're not in the rooms but there is a few teams like Seattle like Atlanta um, like the Steelers that need QBs you could even argue Detroit at the end of the draft or whoever but or even Washington, if they draft one later in the rounds. So I can't specifically argue against you, but what I can say is I just do not think he's going to be drafted in the top three. And if that's the case, I think there's a lot of other players positionally that could really suit them. 
And they brought in Marcus Mariota, who's eventually going to be the bridge to somebody. Now, whether that's this year or in the second round or whatever, I just can't see them going up there to get it. I'm going to let you shoot back at me for a second, but I just can't see them going up all the way up to three. I think they're in the top 10 already, uh, but it would be the question of if the Panthers wanted a QB, then I could see where you're at with that. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a second to come back on me on that. I mean, you know, I could definitely agree with you on that, but the biggest concern I have is, you know, teams addressing their needs. We know the Steelers ended up getting Mitchell Trubisky, but is he really the permanent answer at that quarterback position? You know, these are things I know Mike Tomlin is definitely, I know, I know he wants a guy like Malik Willis in that offense. And when you look at a guy that you've had, you had Ben Roethlisberger, a pocket passer quarterback. I know with the way the league's trending with these mobile quarterbacks, you want someone like Malik Willis on your team. This guy's rushed for over 800 yards his last two seasons and had double digit touchdown rushing totals over the last two seasons. And if I look at Malik Willis, he's a complete package. I think he's the best quarterback in the draft and there are going to be a lot of teams jockeying for him. I think Seattle is a Seattle might be able to trade up for him. There are the Falcons there, but I feel like with the Falcons, I had them in my mock draft trading up for Malik Willis. But now that I'm having second thoughts, I'm like, oh, they they don't have that depth at wide receiver. You know, they lost Russell Gage. They have Cordero Patterson. But what are you going to do with one receiver? You know, there's not that diversity you look at on that offense. You have you address that quarterback position, but you don't have the weapons to complement Malik Willis and. Seattle could be a possibility if you look at it. Seattle, but the thing is, at the end of the day, they don't have the offensive line to protect Malik Willis. But at the same time, you look at it, he's a mobile quarterback. He could make plays outside of the pocket. Even though your offensive line can collapse on him, that guy has the ability to scramble out of the pocket, get first downs, make plays. And that's what makes Malik Willis a difference maker. But if it was up to me, I think I had Atlanta initially trading up for him, but if I were to change things up right now, I would say Seattle and Pittsburgh make a run at Malik Willis and try to acquire him. Yeah, I think, I I hear you. I think Pittsburgh and Seattle are going to be the two biggest teams hedging at a quarterback. Now, whether Jared, you put in your mock a little later, so I I definitely want to hear you to say, but I think those are the two teams really hedging it out. And, and it's going to be – I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Sam Darnold in Carolina. I'm personally not a Sam Darnold fan, clearly. I got Zach Wilson behind my back. Um, but, Jared, take us through your, your mock. Let's hear about it. Tell, tell me some key things from it, and uh, let's hear it, Jared. All right. So so I, I didn't do anything any crazy trades like you did. I wasn't going here, there, everywhere. But thinking about trades, it really makes me think about how in the past couple of cl- draft classes that we had, it's been very – quarterback centric it's like oh where is zach wilson gonna go where's trey lance gonna go but we're really it's this is a bit more on the backside uh, this draft class there's a lot of big name players on impact positions at our quarterback that are really taking the center stage which i think is a really nice change of pace and it leaves this quarterback position a bit more of a mystery so on my mock draft i have my first quarterback malik willis going at six to the panthers but i feel like there's a very good chance because picks one through four Jacksonville, Lions, Houston, and the Jets. They don't, they're, they're not going to go for a quarterback. But I feel like the New York Giants at pick five are really the uh, the team that are probably going to be getting a lot of calls about trading up the leapfrog and Panthers because the Panthers are the first team that really might need, have a need for quarterback and have first stab at it. 
So I think that the Giants definitely have a good opportunity to get trade calls by either the Falcons, the Seahawks, or the Steelers, as we talked about. But I, I feel like the big focus of this draft is about how you can add the best player available in your draft class to your team. So right off the bat, I have Aiden Hutchinson going one. And then, and then two to the Lions, I have Trayvon Walker. Then Houston, who I personally, I believe, is the, the best overall player in the class, is Kyle Hamilton. I have him going to the Houston Texans at three. And then the Jets, I have them picking up a cornerback, Derek Stingley Jr. I don't have them going uh, Sauce Gardner. I have them going a little bit later. But I think that they both, either one could go uh, number one or number two. But I just have uh, Stingley going at number four. Then at five, I have Akeem Iguanu going to the Giants. Then Malik Willis, my first quarterback. And then the Giants again, Tavon Thibodeau. And then to finish off the top ten, you got the Falcons going Drake London, wide receiver. The Seahawks addressing a huge problem with offensive line, getting Charles Cross. And then the Jets at 10, getting Garrett Wilson help out their wide receiver core. That's how I have my top head going. And a couple other uh, notes that I have on here. I have uh, other two quarterbacks. I have at 19, Kenny Pickett's going to the Saints right above the Steelers at number 20. And at the wrap up the top 32, I have Sam Howell going to the Lions at the end of the at the end of the first round so that's kind of how i have my first round mock draft going i think there's something we're all in agreement here that unless you guys didn't notice that i did malik willis seems to be the first quarterback we all think is going to get off the board whether he goes off later in the mid rounds i think he'll go end up going to the steelers whether he goes to the falcons earlier in the top three or whether he ends up going to the panthers there seems to be a universal malik willis and he's definitely trending up the boards he has and i think too Kenny Pickett rocketed up the boards this year as well. He, they, they are saying he is the most pro-ready quarterback and the most pro-ready to go. Like, I mean, you put him in the lineup, he's ready to go. He could be your game manager for that season. I, I think there's a lot of tapped, untapped potential in Malik Willis that teams like, like last year, like Zach Wilson. Now Zach Wilson's going to start. He has a big arm and he's got that, that talent that you don't see on the outside, making that big throw at his pro day, right? You don't see that. So I, I think I think there's going to be that that ceiling that people are going to try and get. And uh, I think teams are going to go after Malik Wills for that reason. But for what I, I wanted to know what you thought, your thoughts on I, I have the Chiefs getting Jamison Williams in my draft. I do not know. Jared, what do you have? I Jared has. I feel like I saw him going. Oh, you have him going to the Saints. OK. Yeah, I, I was just wondering, Fouad, what do you think about the Chiefs at uh, wide receiver? You know, Chiefs, I don't know. The Chiefs addressed their wide receiver position in free agency. They got Marquez Valdez-Scanling. They were able to get Juju. But when you look at the Chiefs, like, you have Patrick Mahomes under center. The guy can make plays. He's one of the most transcendent quarterbacks we have in the league. But – the big question that with the Chiefs has always been that defense. The defense ended up costing them in the AFC title game. You have to address the defense. You have to address the defense. I had them get taking a cornerback and an edge rusher with 29 and 30. And it might sound it might sound crazy. A lot of people are actually saying that the Chiefs should address the wide receiver position. You have you have three pretty decent wide receivers i mean you have kelsey he's not a wide receiver i mean you have the best tight end in the game in travis kelsey 
you have an above average Juju Smith-Schuster. Hopefully, we're going to see how that chemistry uh, plays out throughout the season with Patrick Mahomes. We have Marquez Valdez-Scanling, someone who has very underrated speed. But with the Chiefs, I think it's a no-brainer. At 29 and 30, you have to address the defense because their defense was is a big cause for concern, and especially in the AFC West loaded with great defensive teams and great defensive lines and great secondaries, you have to load up on that defensive line and that secondary. Yeah. No, anyway, I hear you on, on, they need to go defense. Uh, there's definitely a way around it for them. I just think they have, they have to go wide receiver. Uh, some of the other things I, I had in my mock, uh, like I said, the Steelers, I think are going to take quarterback. I think Seattle comes back in later and gets Kenny Pickett. He, they need a QB over there in Seattle comes in. He's pro ready. Like I said earlier, and he gets ready for Seattle and he's ready to rock. I think the Panthers can end up getting like a Desmond Riddler later in the second round. He he's a winner, true winner there over there in the Bearcats and somebody they can kind of cultivate there. The problem is, is what are they going to do with Darnold? And does Matt rule have enough time to save his job? Cause I feel as though he's on the hot seat. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Does Matt rule have enough time to do that? Like I said, I think this is going to be a trade-heavy draft. Fouad, you said the needs of these teams. that people They need to pick for their needs, right? I think there's teams going to be jumping teams for, for needs of, 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 of certainty. They need that player at that position. They're the best Absolutely. player available. They come ahead. I think uh, this could potentially be a trade-heavy draft in that regard because teams are going to come up. The wide receiver, I think wide receivers are going to go off the boards. Tackles are going to go off the boards. I think it's going to be that kind of draft. Yeah, I think it's actually one of the most diverse drafts we've had in quite some time. You know, a lot of teams are going to be trading up for what they want. And it's not going to be, I feel like in certain aspects, all right, you're looking at the first two picks. I think definitively you have Aiden Hutchinson. I think he's going to go at one to Jacksonville. But after that, I think yeah. this draft could go anywhere. This draft could be, they're going to, there's going to be a lot of trading going on in this draft. I didn't specifically have that in my mock draft because I don't know exactly what will go on, but I'm expecting a lot to change in that first round. A lot of teams are going to be trading up for players that they desperately need that are going to have an instant impact, instant starters for their team. Jared, I wanted to get to you really quick. Do you have any uh, takeaways from anybody else's mocks? Um, and then Flav, I'll go back to you and then I'll come back to me. Uh, any final thoughts on this subject or, cause we're going to keep it draft. We're going to go somewhere else, but you have any takeaways from anybody else's mock Jared? I mean, looking at everyone else's draft, even, even Flav's draft, it's going to be wild. It, it really is. I mean, it always happens every year. It's, it's never goes as expected. There's always something that throws, throws it all out off last year. Uh, the thing that comes to mind is Pat Sertan getting picked at nine, throwing off the Cowboys, Eagles, Giants plan. So they start trading all around, getting different players, absolute pandemonium ensued. So there's always going to be something that happens that's, that throws everything off. So I think there's a very good chance that somewhere, I'm going to say somewhere between eight and 12. So, so Falcons, Seahawks, Jets, Commanders, and then uh, Minnesota Vikings. I feel like that is definitely the region where something unexpected is going to happen. Cause I, f I feel like at the top, there's at least there's a consensus couple people that are going to be going to those teams. But once we start getting to the middle, it's the door is wide open for any team to do anything and tr trades are going to be happening. And I think that would definitely be the region where it'd be best suited. And it's, it's going to be wild. 
So everybody stay tuned for these mock drafts. I didn't tell you guys, but I'm releasing these mock drafts out. Actually going to make some, I'm going to make a, we're making, we're in construction of a Jake's Take social media page. It is coming out and I'm going to get these mocks out to the public so everyone can see them. But rolling on within the draft, we're moving on to a, our, our next segment, Trades Galore. And here we go. So there was a trade earlier in the week um, with the Saints and the Eagles. They swap picks. The Saints come up to 16 and 19. The Eagles get 18. They get a first-round pick next, uh, next year in 2023, among other picks, and they got a, a 2024 second. They got a couple of lates and stuff like that. But now the Eagles, they have two. The Saints have two picks, all right? The Eagles originally had three. So with this trade, um, who do you guys think the Saints are going to draft with their new picks? And what does this mean for the Eagles moving forward? So, Jared, I'm actually going to start with you on this one. So the thing that's most intriguing to me, I feel like the NFC South is such a place of just obscurity in the NFL right now. Because you have the Buccaneers. I feel like it's pretty general consensus. They're going to be the number one team in the division, most likely the number one team in the conference. So it's really those bottom three teams that really could go any which way. And I feel like this is the Saints move. They're saying that they're they're trying to get into the playoffs. They're trying to get this wild card spark, wild card spot because they believe they can beat out the other two teams and become one of those teams. So I think with the Saints t- taking these uh, two first-round picks, in my mock draft in particular, I had them taking a wide, wide receiver because they that's a position in need. And Michael Thomas, he's he's been off for a year on his injury. We don't know how he's going to immediately return to the position. And then you just have a couple of uh, just other teams, such as uh, uh, other wide receivers. Marquez Callaway is one that comes to mind, but I can't really think of anyone else on that team. So I, can, I really do see them taking – wide receiver at that position personally i have jameson williams from alabama going to the saints but also i feel like moving up it also gives them power over the other teams if they're moving up above the chargers and eagles if they want to take a a position to get an impact player over those two teams and they moved up to do that as well that's also a very good possibility that i see but personally i feel like they could be doing this for a win now move but also getting them geared up towards the future because I, over the past two off seasons, they've really been shedding off cap space. Like now they're, they're in the top 10 of the, the most amount of cap space after being a negative 70 million in, in the toilet. So they're, they're really making moves and I think they're getting gearing up for the future. And I think that they're trying to, they're trying to take their stake in the division and they're trying to, they're trying to do something in the NFC. And this is my main takeaway from that. Yeah, I can agree with most of that. Uh, I definitely think they're trying to go all in. The NFC has gotten worse in a sense. They're bringing back Jameis Winston, bringing some continuity there. They hired in-house with Dennis Allen. So the Saints, they are going to make a push for that playoff spot, especially with Tom Brady coming back in that division. You got to play tough. And, and, and this, this could potentially be it for the Saints. They got to try and make a push for the future as well, uh, because I don't know if Jameis Winston is going to be there. He played well before his injury. I have them going the trenches both ways on defense and offense. I think you build up there. You find a huge run stopper who can get rid of Christian McCaffrey and Cordell Patterson and Leonard Fournette, who's coming back to the Bucs. And you bring in the offensive tackle for Central Michigan, whoever's there at tackle. I, I think you build up there because you lost Armstead. Remember, Theron Armstead was their top tackle on that team. So you build back the O-line. I, I do think they, they need another wide receiver. Uh, I think they could get that in the second round potentially. John Mechie's still out there. Remember, I, I think he's going to – remember, he got hurt in the playoffs for Alabama. So 
he's going to be sneaky, whether he goes in the second or third round. I think he's going to be out there. So the Saints, they Saints, they definitely could draft it some more receivers later in the rounds, whether they do it now in the first round or the second. But I think they fix up the trenches. That's where the war is always is. That's where the game always starts up front in the trenches on both sides. Uh, but Wad, let me hear what you got on this. Um, you know, you guys are giving a lot of positives for the Saints. You know, I'm I'm gonna lean towards Philadelphia on this one, man. I feel like they did a great job in managing their draft capital this year. So they had three first rounders this year. Now they have two this year, two next year, plus they have a two two third two third rounders for next year, one third rounder for next year, and the year after that they have another one round uh third rounder. You know, I think Howie Roseman did an incredible job with this one, with the way he was able to spread out that draft capital. And I feel like the the Eagles have some major needs that they need to address. And if I had to go at 15, I think they would take Devin Lloyd at the linebacker position. They could definitely fill a big hole in that. And then on top of that, you have Jordan Davis, defensive lineman. He's an absolute run stopper. And if you have him on your defensive line alongside Fletcher Cox, that defensive line is looking incredibly, incredibly tough. And for the Saints, you know, you look at it, they are very stiff at that wide receiver position. And if I have to look at the 19th slot, the one which they traded with Philly for, I think they're going to go with Traylon Brooks for the sole fact that we don't know what Michael, uh, Michael Thomas is right now. We don't know where he's going to go, what he's doing yet. He was one of the better wide receivers in the league the last two years when he actually was on the field. But when you look at the wide receiver position, they definitely need upgrading. They have Traquan Smith. They have Alvin Kamara at that running back position. Always an added premium when you have a guy of Alvin Kamara's caliber at that running back position. But for the Saints, you definitely need to address that wide receiver position. And they have, I had them taking a tackle at 16. Because, you know, to fill that void with Teron Armstead is going to be vital to open up those holes for Alvin Kamara on that offensive line. It's going to be incredibly crucial that they fix that void with Teron Armstead. It's not a hole that could be easily fixed because he's one of the best tackles in the league. But getting a first rounder in Bernard Raymond it could definitely help and go a long way. He could be a good offensive tackle for years to come. So 16 and 19 Saints go tackle and wide receiver. Yeah, I want to say we all have the Eagles going defense, um, whether it's linebacker, D line, or corner. I have the the line, uh, excuse me, not the linebackers, the Eagles going linebacker with Devin Lloyd, and I have them going corner, Trent McDuffie from Washington. So they got to build up on defense. They for sure need some linebackers over there in Philly. Um, but I think that definitely this sets uh, the Eagles up for the future. Sometimes three first round picks is not a blessing. There's there's the odds are you'll mess them up. Um, I saw that with the Minnesota Vikings not too not too many years ago when they drafted Cordell Patterson and a couple other guys in that draft. Can't remember it fully, but they had three first round picks. They didn't go as clean, but I think this sets them up perfectly to the future. They got two first round picks next year. And you got to think about, I don't know how for sure I like Jalen Hurts, and I think he deserves a shot. But I don't know how much they are leaning into in Jalen Hurts on that. Gives definitely gives them a safety blanket for the future to come. And if he is good, gives them a, a foundation to build around him. So the Eagles are definitely trending in the right direction. I think they go defense in both those picks. Fwad, what do you got? 
I mean, you know, for Philadelphia, this is a big draft, you know. I felt like they, a couple of years ago, they took Jalen Rager at that wide receiver position when Justin Jefferson was on the board. And now you look at that transcendent talent that Justin Jefferson has become. You're like, you know, this is going to be a crucial draft for Philadelphia, man. They they messed up with that pick with taking Rager over Jefferson. For me, I think Hurts is a really good quarterback in this league. He could definitely get them through the division. But I know definitely that Philadelphia has bigger goals in mind. They want to be able to compete in the playoffs. So this is going to be a huge draft for Philly. And, you know, when you have like two first picks, uh, two picks in the first round, people are going to tend to look at you more. You're going to get more of the attention. And then during the season, when those picks are either living up to their expectations or just falling way below their standards, you know, those picks are going to be incredibly important for Philadelphia and show that if they, if they were able to do something good in this draft, they definitely have to have two elite caliber players with those two picks they have in the first round. Jared, any, uh, any thoughts on this subject? I had something to say to Fouad, but I just lost it. So I'm going to let you go first. Looking at the landscape of the NFC, I personally, I, I think the Eagles definitely did one win this trade, just being able to move around their draft capital and kind of load up for the, for the next draft as well and get extra picks there. It's really going to benefit them come in the future. But it, it does make that does intrigue me because as you're talking about uh, Jalen Rieger, are they gonna mess it up? Are are they just gonna do something that they really shouldn't do? I mean, uh, personally, I, I feel like I feel like they'll do fine. They're gonna address needs on the uh, defensive side. That's personally where I have them going. But it definitely does make you think. They they messed up before. Do we think enough's changed where they might not mess it up again? I don't know. It just, just makes me think. But looking at the trade from at least from a holistic point of view, definitely would say that the Eagles did win the trade. Yeah, that's now I remember what I was going to say. Yes, Jalen Rager fans will not forget that pick over Justin Jefferson. That's what I want to say to you. They will never, they will never forget that. They did redeem themselves. They got Devontae Smith last year. We're going to see what he develops into. I always thought that's the Sean Jackson, Michael Vick they've been looking for since, since the, when they had that. I think that's it. Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith. Yeah, I, I don't think Eagles fans are ever going to forget their, them picking Rager over, uh, over Jefferson. But I wanted, to, I wanted to get into your guys' minds as the GM of a team, right? And, and we're going we're gonna to dive deep into that. So I want you guys to put, put your shoes as a GM. You, you guys are in the shoes of a GM right now. Which team, if you only had one team, what team would that be to trade up in this draft? If there was only one team you could choose, what team would that be? Uh, Jared, you want to top this off for me? Yeah, yeah, I'll start. Personally for me, I think of teams that they're kind of in a state of like nothingness at the moment, but they've really been able to build up a lot of draft capital. And the team that comes to mind is the Seahawks. So they just made a trade. They got rid of their franchise quarterback. He's gone. They got a bunch of picks for him and they got a couple of players. So how do you build up this team from base, basically scratch and just a boatload of picks? I feel like making a trade up, as I talked about earlier, to the Giants at number five, being able to leapfrog any other team that would try to get a quarterback. I feel like that would be personally the way to go. 
because then you're getting that position. You still have a lot of capital for the future. You ha- still have your first, an extra first round pick next year. So you're able to build up around them for the, the coming years. And that'll allow you to actually make a team off. And this is just his rookie year. Just, you know, get, get him in the flow of it. You can have, if you want to, you can have Drew Lock start for this year, how that goes. Eh, we'll see. But, and then in the future, you can have this uh, quarterback that you hop up for. Personally, I would have Malik Willis going one, but there's a possibility that they'd go another direction, such as Kenny Pickett. So you have to th- you have to think about what would be the best way to build your team for the future, and having all of that uh, potential stored up already from building up the capital, that would be the way I would go. Yeah, so I wanted to make this a little spicy on you guys, add a little flair to this conversation, because I – haven't heard anybody say this, but I really think it's going to happen. Now, I was going to say the Chiefs, but I feel like that's too easy. So I've had, and as I said earlier, the Green Bay Packers, I really truly believe whether they go all the way up or they just trade into the uh, mid-rounds, mid whether it's 15, 20, I think at one point, no matter where it is, they are going to trade up in this first round. They need absolutely need a wide receiver. And I think around wherever they are, 28 and I want to say 22. I know they're in the later 20s. They are going to have to jump somebody to get a wide receiver. And Jared and Floyd both were saying it. I think it's going to be a leapfrog type of uh, of draft. And you have to secure a receiver for the future, especially losing Devontae Adams and MVS. uh, You're stuck. You're stuck as the Packers right now. And if Aaron Rodgers is coming back, you've made it to the playoffs. Three uh, plenty of times in a row. I would say these past three years, it's been the NFC Championship twice, the division round this past year. I am tired of seeing them make it to the playoffs and not getting further than what their potential should be. This, this is it. You never know when Aaron Rodgers could say he's done, especially what we've seen in the past couple off seasons. In this off season, you just don't know. And if you're the Packers, you got to go all in. I really wish Devonte Adams would have stayed. They could have got a receiver. But I think if you're the Packers, you, you whether whether it's all the way up, whether it's in the mid twenties and the teens, I don't care where it is. I think the Packers going to trade up. Um, you know, I'm just going to add a little bit on to the argument about the Packers. You know, the Packers have done Aaron Rodgers so terribly for me. I feel like it's just so unforgivable. The guy of Aaron Rodgers caliber, and you're not putting like talent around him to be successful. I know you have Devonte Adams over there in green Bay, but he's no longer there anymore. You look at your uh, draft decisions past couple of years, you draft your, the best quarterback in the league. You draft his backup in Jordan love. To be honest, Brutal. I said this, I said this in the last episode when we were together, I said that that, that pick for me was just to light a fire underneath Aaron Rodgers. There was no type of logic behind that move, but you, this guy is a, to back-to-back MVP in the league, and you're not putting the wide receiver, wide receiving core around him to be successful. I just don't understand. Obviously, I do think that the Packers need a wide receiver. Their their wide receiving core, they have no clear number one option at that wide receiver position. You know, to address that need that they need, Jamison Williams. Um, you know, I think I think that it's definitely a great fit for him. 
And the Packers definitely need a wide receiver. So, you know, whoever is there at any given time in the first round, I think they're going to pick him up regardless because that wide receiver position, once, if they don't trade up, if they're not leapfrogging up to get a wide receiver, that wide receiver position is going to be razor thin. And whoever is there when the clock hits Green Bay, they're going to have to get the best available wide receiver, whatever way you put it. I think there's a lot of depth in this draft. I just think if you want to get a starting receiver now skills positions are way different than quarterbacks, but I, even if they stayed where they are and had two first round picks and let's say they drafted two wide receivers at the end of the first round, like Jaheen Doxson from Penn state or uh, whoever ends up, let's say Traylon Burks ends up, ends up, let's just say he ends up at the end of the first round and they draft both of them. I could get past that, but I don't know how this is going to shape up and I could really see them missing out on a starting talent right away and I, I think that's what they have to do but Fouad, who are you agreeing with the Packers are going to be the team to trade up or did you have another team that you think is going to be the team that trades up in this draft I think the Packers are definitely a great example but I definitely had another team in mind and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers so let's let's just assess this Steelers team like right now what they have right now They have Mitchell Trubisky at the quarterback position. They have Najee Harris at the running back position. They have three very great wide receivers in Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and Anthony Miller. And they have a great tight end in Pat Fryermuth. When I look at that roster on offense, for me, it's just they're there, but they're a quarterback away. And like I said, we're going to go back to the Malik Willis situation. If whatever, whatever is going on in that GM's head, I'm telling you right now, you have to go out and you have to get Malik Willis in this draft that he's going to be a transcendent talent in this league and having Malik Willis under center with the Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson, these guys are incredible players. And on top of that, you have a great defense with TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, Devin Bush, you got Miles Jack in the off season. You know, this team is going to be very well coordinated on the defensive side of the ball. You know, TJ Watts coming off a defensive player of the year season. And, you know, for me, if you look at the Steelers roster, I don't know if you guys will agree with me on this. They might just be a quarterback away and going back into playoff contention. They were in the playoffs last year. They got blown out by Kansas City. But if you look at Malik Willis, he really does change the dynamic of his team. If he is the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, I really have him as the offensive rookie of the year. And he's going to turn out to be a great stud if the Steelers end up snagging him in the drafts. I think wherever Malik Willis goes, I definitely think he's going to have to sit just for where he came from. I mean, personally, I've never heard of even heard of Liberty. Liberty. So the competition he's faced, he's going to have to get acclimated to the NFL level. But I think Pittsburgh's the perfect spot. Uh, or a lot of these teams that have a bridge quarterback like Atlanta or like the Panthers. I don't know if he'd, if he'd fit that well there, but they got Darnold there. So any one of these teams that like Seattle's a little different, right? You could start Drew Locke. But to me, that's a, that's a team that needs a Kenny Pickett to start right away, right? Because we kind of know what Drew Locke is. But a team like the Steelers, who have Mitchell Trubisky and Dwayne Haskins, or the Falcons, who have Marcus Mariota, they can wait the year. And the Steelers can do the same thing. They can wait the year. They can play it out, see what happens. Whoever wins that competition, I'd probably be Trubisky. Um, but they're, they're a win-now team. Ben Roethlisberger was on the decline. So I agree with you there, Fawad. If they can get Malik Willis, with Mike Tomlin there, one of the best head coaches in NFL history, 
they can cultivate this kid into being a pro ready quarterback, whether it's in a year or at the end of the season or whatever. I think that's a great fit uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. I think the biggest thing about teams should be nowadays is that, you know, they want to draft a quarterback, but right out of the gate, they are expecting them to be starter ready. You know, that's just not how the league works. You know, watching behind a veteran quarterback, should be a crucial thing in this league, you know, learning the system. And I feel like Malik Willis could do that behind Mitchell Trubisky. He's a great quarterback. Mitchell Trubisky had a great tenure in Chicago. But the thing is, Mitchell Trubisky is not that quarterback you want leading your franchise long-term. I'm pretty sure you guys could agree with me on that. He's not the long-term answer at that quarterback position. But learning behind a quarterback like Mitchell Trubisky for Malik Willis could be an incredible experience and that could really excel him in his game and his learning experience. And that could prepare him for the long-term future at a great career in the NFL. You know, that was the question with Zach Wilson when he went to the Jets at two last year was, is he ready, especially in New York? Is he ready to go? Can he start? And we saw him struggle first uh, through the first six games before his injury. Then Joe Flacco came in and Mike White came in. They took over. Zach Wilson took a couple weeks, sat behind it. He actually came out of the injury, I feel as though, improved at the end of the season. So there's definitely a way to season rookie quarterbacks. And some teams throw him out right away. Trevor Lawrence, I feel as though he had to go out right away. He was probably the most ready out of that draft. Mac Jones, again, led that team to the playoffs. A lot of help around him, but he led them to the playoffs. So I think if if you're a rookie quarterback like Malik Willis, you there's there's time to sit back and watch. And I think if you're a quarterback in the first round and you go to one of those teams, you're in one of the best situations possible because not only are you taking a redshirt year, you are learning behind a veteran quarterback, behind good coaches, and especially if you're in the Steelers situation, that I think that is a great scenario to be in. Jared, uh, I really want to hear hear your thoughts on that. Uh, if you had any thoughts to piggyback on that. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the only quarterback that is really ready to start day one is Kenny Pickett. As you already said before, he's the only pro-ready quarterback. But you have the quarterbacks such as uh, Matt Corral, Desmond Riddler, Malik Willis. You have all these quarterbacks that they have the tools to put it together, but they're probably not ready to do it on day one. So having them go to the teams that already have a an average quarterback already instated on those teams really gives them an opportunity to learn and grow. And it, it does make you think where you balance drafting for being ready day one and having the skill set to get it done in the future. Cause do you want to draft someone such as a Mac Jones? That's going to come in day one. He's going to play some pretty solid football, but how much higher is Mac Jones ceiling than we've already seen? We're not really sure how much higher. Where do you want to go for someone that has the, the tools to get it done and be one of the best quarterbacks in the league, such as Zach Wilson, who has the big arm, the improvisation, but still has some of those uh, setbacks that might not make him as pro-ready as Mac Jones were. So it, it definitely does make you think, how do you want to address having some of these uh, more raw quarterbacks with the, the higher skill ceiling? And I think the best way is to have them sit as the 49ers did with Trey Lance this year, how it had him behind Jimmy Grapple. I feel like that was definitely the model for how to deal with your rookie quarterbacks. And I feel like that's probably the way the team should go this offseason. I agree with you. I hear you. Uh, last year was a different animal of a draft. I think a lot of them, a lot of those quarterbacks were ready to go. Like I said, Zach Wilson was a different situation, but 
if you can sit behind someone and and get locked and loaded and, and get ready for next year, like Jordan Love has for the past four years, I, I think you'll uh, I think you'll be ready to go. Now I'm not even going to scratch the surface on that situation, but um, my man's got to start at one point. He's got to show something. He's been sitting there forever, so we'll see what happens. All right, guys. So we're going to move on to our next segment. We're cleaning off the draft stuff right there. Well, a lot of stuff going into that. I think the draft is going to be huge. There's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of trades. You guys have a lot of stuff going down as well. Um, the Steelers, quarterbacks, everything going on. But we're going to move on to our next segment. we got a fun segment coming up. Here we go. Into the sports verse once more. And I'm bringing back something I talked about on a earlier show. But since I have two Broncos fans here, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the situation. So not too long ago, the NFL Network, they put up um, – Something I like to call like, a, I guess, drafting in your own division, building your team for money. So you get $15, right, to build your team. You get to pick one quarterback, two offensive players, and two defensive players. And uh, like I said, I want to revisit this because I got my two Broncos fans here, and it's the AFC West. And I think this is going to be one of the best divisions or the best division in football this year. I'm actually going to lock that down right now. It's going to be the best division in football. So let's build our team. Uh, there's obviously there's no Tyreek Hill in this in this right now. This was this was done before his trade, but I wanted to bring it back up. Who wants to start? Does anybody want to start on this first with their team? I'm interested to see how our teams uh, compare. I was I was looking at all of our teams and it was it kind of hit me a little bit. You know, both of you guys have Justin Herbert at that quarterback position. But, you know, I'm going to go with my guy, Russell Wilson. And here's why. Herbert has not won a single playoff game yet throughout his very short tenured NFL career so far. Russell Wilson has won the most games in a 10-year span in NFL history. So I pick Russell Wilson at quarterback for number one. Although Justin Herbert is an incredibly talented quarterback, that does not diminish the fact that Russell Wilson is also just as talented. So I picked Russell Wilson at quarterback. And on offense... We went similar routes. I think Devontae Adams, surefire, one of the best receivers in the league, without a doubt. And Austin Eckler being one of the better top 10 running backs in the league, I went with him at the running back position. So Devontae Adams and Austin Eckler are my two offensive weapons. Austin Eckler can also be a passing back, catch the ball out of the backfield, which gives him an added bonus. So I went with him at the running back position. On defense, I went Khalil Mack. Leo Mack, although he's regressed over the past couple of years in Chicago, I feel like he's going to take a big leap this year in, in Los Angeles with the Chargers. And I hate to say that because I'm a Broncos fan. I don't want him to play well, but with Joey Bosa and him on that defensive line, it's going to be incredibly exciting to watch. They're going to be wrecking havoc on opposing opposing opponents and Justin Simmons for me one of the best safeties in the league without a doubt I love this guy to death he's one of the best safeties in the league I went with him at my second defensive position and to round it off those are all my weapons that I have selected so this was a little interesting because it's not really like an offensive line I guess that would be implemented I don't really know so I originally had uh, I originally had Khalil Mack and something that's interesting about this is none of us have a Chiefs player. Really shows you the uh, top names really, really diminishing off their. Uh, I mean, any of us could have picked Patrick Mahomes, but we didn't because there was a little of a money money thing going on here. But I got Justin Herbert for a steal at three dollars. I got Jerry Judy 
I think for a dollar, Devontae Adams had to buy him for five bucks. I got JC Jackson, who probably is the top corner in that division for like $4 and Justin Simmons for $2. But I didn't really see, I thought this was going to be like a passing type thing. So I went all out on the D-backs and on, on the wide receivers. Now, I personally think that my team is the best team out of all of these teams. You guys can't even argue that. It's hard to argue. My team just looks so good right now. I got Devontae Adams, young Jerry Judy, Herbert, who's going to bomb it downfield to both these guys. And then I got your guys locked up. I got Justin Simmons and J.C. Jackson, two of the best young defensive backs in the league. I, I think your guys' teams don't stand a chance against mine. Uh, it just looks too good. It's looking too good for me. I used all my $15. It's just looking way too good for my team. I don't think I don't think you guys can uh, can can top that. Any thoughts on that? Because uh, truly, I, I really think my team would would totally duel you guys out. Jake, I beg to differ. I think my team. I think it's taking the cake. I really do. So started off with Justin Herbert at quarterback. Personally, I feel like the difference between Patrick Mahomes at five and Justin Herbert at three, the disparity isn't there to spend an extra two dollars. Well, Justin Herbert, he can throw absolute bombs down the field. It's going to be great. Then we're on offense, we're getting the number one wide receiver in the league, Devontae Adams. He's going to be that big target and that great route runner that Herbert needs for success, and he's going to be going down the field. And I went a little bit different route for my second offensive player. I went at $1. I went to Javante Williams. I know Fawad knows, but if you've not seen highlights of this man, oh, my goodness, he just runs. He's the next people. big thing. He's the next big thing. Flat out he amazing. Really he, he has a ton of talent. Yeah, it's so underlooked that they have like a two running back set with Melvin Gordon and himself with Javante Williams. But if Javante Williams is in that backfield all alone by himself, I don't know if you saw his highlights from last year, but that guy breaks tackles like it's nothing. He's dragging defenders with him. 15, 10, 15 yards down the field. He's an incredibly special player. And I'm so excited to see him play for my Broncos and you know, it's going to be a bright future for the Denver team now that they got Russell Wilson under center with that young wide receiver core. It's going to be so exciting to see these guys. And I think Jared would echo me in saying that, you know, it's a definitely a good time for Denver fans right now. It's, it's a beautiful time for Denver fans right now. You know, it's been in like a six-year slump, but we're back and we are raring to go. So I feel like I had to pick up Javante Williams at $1. Just had to. And on the defensive side, I'm, I'm going with the Chargers squad. I got Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson. This league, it's all about getting it's all about getting pressure on the quarterback. That's the exact reason why the Bengals made it to the as far as they did, even with their uh, shaky O-line. They were able to get pressure on the quarterback, and they were able to force them to make mistakes. So bring Khalil Mack, even if he's starting to get older, maybe he's regressed a little bit. Or as Fawad said, they're gonna take, he's going to take a big step back up to where he was. I feel like he's going to have a very solid season. And then J.C. Jackson coming on the backside, he's going to be your lockdown corner coming from a, a disciplined system in, in the Patriots. And he's going to be your lockdown on the backside. He'll be able to lock up Devontae Adams. I really do think that. So, Jake, I'm not sure. You might not stand a chance. Yeah, no, I think my team has the, like I said, the best chance. There's no argument against it. I really do think, though, when you look at this scenario, and this is what I get out of this chart is, you look at these players – the Chargers, I mean, they loaded up this offseason. And, Jared, we talked about this the last show. I really think the Chargers are going to be the number one team in this division by far. And then you got the other three teams, right? Well, Nathaniel Hackett, head coach, and Russell Wilson coming over. That Broncos team on paper is loaded. If they can put it together, they could potentially be the best team in that division. And you got the Raiders with Josh McDaniels coming in and Devontae Adams. And they got Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, right? 
and Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, right? They're gonna they're probably gonna make it to the playoffs too. Then you look at the Chiefs, like you said last week, Jared. Then you look at the Chiefs, right? And they're the team, they're the season team in that division. They're the team that's made it to the playoffs year in and year out for the past however many years. They've won that division and they they've most certainly earned it. I think they've taken a step back this offseason. Now, I really truly think all four of these teams are going to end up making the playoffs, but there is some type of digression in that division and someone's going to end up winning it. And that someone is going to be the LA Chargers. Uh, LA definitely took one of the biggest leaps in this division. I feel like the Chiefs are the team that probably regressed the most, but I feel like for Denver, the luxury that Russell Wilson is going to have having a play caller like Nathaniel Hackett do things that he likes in the offense is going to really show this year. He has the necessary weapons he has with Judy Sutton, KJ Hamler, and then you have a great running back when Javante Williams, a, a far better offensive line than he had in Seattle. And that's the one thing that we're going to get to see this year. Russell Wilson going to be able to scramble out of the pocket and make plays with his mobility things that he didn't have in Seattle he's going to get to do in Denver and that's what makes this Denver team so incredibly exciting and you know it's going to be a race to the finish you know it's going to be exciting to watch all four of these teams go at it I feel like in my opinion all when all these when these four teams go at it with each other all of them should be primetime games without a doubt there should be a slate just reserved for all four of these teams to go at it in their divisional matchups but if I had to go with one right now I, I I don't care if I'm being biased right now. I got to go with Denver. They got Russell Wilson. They got Russell Wilson. They got that position on lock. I feel like Nathaniel Hackett brings a type of personality that we haven't seen in this Denver locker room in a long time. They have the necessary weapons. And, you know, I feel like Russell Wilson was that missing piece that they needed to address. They got, they got a lot of help on the offensive line compared to years prior. And I feel like this Denver team is going to explode onto the scene. And I, feel like we're going to be able to win the division this year. Six years out, not being in the playoffs, this Denver team is going to make a splash this year, and I'm incredibly excited to see how how they go up against this division. Jared, go ahead before I round this out for us. Let me hear what you got. Something that I just read today that I find very interesting, I was reading an article about strength of schedule for all the teams in the uh, league. The Broncos have the easiest strength schedule at all. I'm not saying it's an easy schedule, but it's 18th. It's 18th, uh, 18th ranked in the league in uh, terms of how easy it is. When you have teams like the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Chiefs, the Chiefs have the hardest schedule in the projected schedule in the league. The Raiders are right up there at number 28. The Chargers, I believe, are at 24, if I'm remembering correctly. So those like those out of division games might actually determine who wins the division just because it's games against winnable teams that that otherwise the teams such as the Chiefs and the Raiders they're going to be playing difficult games as the Broncos are going to be playing the Panthers the the, the Jets you got the uh the Ravens and then well, we're the, winning that game please stop 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 oh, uh, right, my bad my bad my bad <laughs> so the Broncos are going to lose the Jets I forgot yeah, exactly. about that part that's right speaking for Jets and then the Jets <laughs> And then the Jaguars playing the bottom teams division. And that might be the edge, those uh, those very winnable games, not not locks, not locks, as Jake might say, but very winnable games. They might actually be the difference between taking the division and losing it. So 
I'm still not going to, I already said this last week, I'm not going to put my money on who's going to win the division. I'm just going to say the Broncos. So, you know, it's not, not really a, a fair, a fair uh, description of what I think the division is going to happen. But I would, I would be very surprised if we don't have a new division winner this year. For sure. I, I really think it, the, the cards are about to, the tides are about to change over there in the AFC West. And real quick on the Jets, we're going to win, uh, you know, we're going to go perfect season this year. We're going to the Super Bowl. We're going to win it. Those are expectations every year. I expect the team to reach those. So bar none, New York Jets probably going to win seven games. So <laughs> those are my expectations for us. But come on, man, you can't rule us out against the Broncos. Jets got, Jets for load and got Zach Wilson, you know. <laughs> Why, anything uh, you want to round out this segment for us? Anything you got? Yeah, I actually have a funny story to share. A couple of years ago, I went to my first ever football game. Broncos took on the Jets at MetLife Stadium. And I think you'll remember this game that I think Isaiah Crowell had like 200 plus uh, rushing yards on the day, three touchdowns. It was probably the most miserable day of my being a football fan, you know, watching that stadium go crazy behind the Jets. You know, Jets faithful is incredibly resilient. They got a great great stadium behind them they got a great group of fans behind them but you know that was just a disappointing day for me but hopefully Zach Wilson could take that leap into his second year in the league but you know I feel like the difference maker for the Jets is definitely going to be Robert Saleh you know Robert Saleh is in his second year in the league as a head coach but you know the thing with Robert Saleh I found out is that last year the Jets just looked shaky in every game they just didn't look like they were prepared for the task at hand whenever they took the field. And I felt like that is something that's up to the coach to change. That's the coach's culture that he is supposed to motivate the players. He is the head of the locker room and he's supposed to change that. I don't know how you feel at that head coaching position. Do you guys think that Robert Saleh is that answer at that head coaching position for the Jets? I want to hear from Jake first because don't he's- even. A, I don't even start a big with answer at that Jets. <laughs> He's a big Jets fan, so I want to hear from him first on of course, what he thinks about Robert Sala. Of Salah. course, of course. He is a player's coach. He is something they needed an infusion of since Rex Ryan left. I think he's a better overall head coach. I, I think a lot of it's going to fall on what happens this season, though. So if the Jets end up winning three or two games, I honestly and sadly think there's going to be a clean slate everywhere. Again, because just, just the way ownership thinks, I think Woody Johnson honestly is just tired of it. And not to say he hasn't put it, it's also his fault too. We haven't put together a good team in over a decade, right? So besides the 10 and six, you know, blurb we had in 2015 or whatever it was, but I, I, I really hope Robert Sala can pull together. I think they are. I think Joe Douglas and Robert Sala have a plan. They seem to connect really well in all the meetings I've, I've watched and, and read about. So I really think I think Robert Saul is going to bring a lot to the table. He's a good overall head coach. He's not just a good defensive coach. He really manages the team really well. So I have good expectations for the Jets. I don't keep my expectations high for them anymore, considering the fact that I've been disappointed so many years in a row. But I do think that the Jets can win at least six or seven games, and I think that will buy them time for another year. And if they do win more than that, I will be very ecstatic about it. But Zach Wilson's coming to his own. He brought the receivers into like a mini camp this past week. He brought Denzel Mims. He brought over Corey Davis. He brought Elijah Moore. They got the young talent. They started a ton of rookies last year. This team is young. They're hungry and they're ready to rock. And they brought in some good talent in, the, in free agency. I'm interested to see what they do in the draft. 
but the Jets could potentially be uh, pretty sneaky in the, that tough AFC. Jared, what do you got? So, Fawad, first, I just have a question. What year was that Broncos-Jets game you went to? Because I've been to one football game before, and it was a Broncos-Jets game at MetLife Stadiums. What, what year did he go? I think, I think it was about, uh, I think, four or five years ago. I think I think it could have definitely been the same game because the Broncos got blown out. It, it had game. to be it had to be twenty somewhere between twenty sixteen and twenty eighteen because that's when the Jets had Isaiah yeah. Corral within that. Because I only go to MetLife Stadium games when the Broncos are playing. I went last year in the season opener when they played the Giants, and that was the last game I went to. The first game I went to was the Broncos and Jets. I feel like they okay, had a, I feel like they had Josh McCann at quarterback. Did you watch a game with Josh? No, they had Sam Darnold. They had Sam Darnold. Oh, was it Sammy? It might have been 2018, Jared. It was. It might have been. It might have been. Okay, because my first thought when I heard that, I'm like, did we go to the same game? But no, mine was a couple years. Wait. (laughs) Mine was a couple years prior. There's there's an easy way to settle this. Who was their quarterback at that time? I said it was Geno Smith, so a little earlier. Mm, No, for the Broncos, who was their quarterback? Oh, Broncos was Peyton Manning. Oh no! I I went when there was Case Keenum. Okay, that, that's easy oh, to man. settle there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. But... I wish I went to a game where Peyton Manning played. Like, damn. Peyton Manning was uh, it, was awesome for the Broncos. It, it really was something else, and that was also I don't know if you remember uh, this player for Wad, but Ronnie Hillman, running back for the Broncos. Of course, Broncos. of course, running back behind C.D. That was, and of course, I, I I saw his first game, and it was a hundred yard. It was first hundred yard game, and his first game that he's ever started, and that was that was something really cool. But but getting back getting back to the uh, Jets, I feel like Robert Sala is probably the answer, but it's just the Jets are in a process of rebuilding. They ha- still have to get a lot of pieces and feeding that offense. So I feel like even if the season goes so-so this year, I feel like Robert Sala will definitely come back for a third year in the uh, Jets organization. So I, I don't I don't feel like this is definitely him on the chopping block this year. I, I like what he's been doing. I, I feel like he's a good personality, and he really brings the players together. So I will say one thing I always hear as a Jets fan, and, and, and uh, you guys probably get it too, you, you're all in the insider stuff with the Broncos. I got everything with the Jets. So one thing I keep hearing, and it seems to be a rumor, but I, I hear it from like insider Jets analysts and the guys who write for the beats and stuff like that. I keep hearing that if they have a bad season, I'm not saying Robert Sala, but it seems as though Joe Douglas might be on his way out, the general manager for the Jets. And I'm really hoping that they can win at least seven or more games, be a 500 team, at least be comp, uh, you know, in a competition for the playoffs. I'm tired of seeing these New York, I'm making a statement right now before we go to our final thoughts. These New York teams, I'm tired of seeing them every year mathematically out in the beginning of the season, whenever the earliest they could possibly be out. I'm tired of it. I'm really hoping the Jets or the Giants, I don't care if it's both, by like week 15 or somehow still in it. Even if they get out by then, I'm fine with that. But I really hope that these two teams could be, or at least one of them could be competitive this year. Fawad? You know, when you look at the Jets in this division, I'm like, there's a possibility they could lose all six division games with how good these teams are in the division. You look at Miami, Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill, like tough. what an upgrade. Mac Jones with, I, I feel like the Patriots are one of the teams that regressed a lot of that division. But, you know, but you look at Buffalo they're like a surefire team that could win the AFC right then and there. If you look at their team, huge extension for Stefan Diggs yesterday. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jets even lost all six games in their division this year, to be honest, because that division is absolutely loaded and stacked. 
Yeah, I can agree with that. I, I, I look more at the AFC as a whole because it's going to be tough for them uh, overall. But I'm, that's it's it's really going to be a a toss up for them this year because I don't know what's yeah. going to happen with Tua. I think the Jets could beat Mac Jones. They didn't do it last year, but it's you know they could do it. I don't think they're going to beat Buffalo, but yeah, I think the inside of that division's even harder. Then you think they have to fight from the inside. Think about how they got to fight from the outside, right? So they got a tough all around, and I'm really scared. Uh, but I, I keep my expectations to my minimum there. But uh, since we've moved on to a different direction, let's get on to our final thoughts for the show. Um, my final thought, I'm going to put it out there right now, was I saw something on social media this week with DK Metcalf. I can't tell you if he was being, if this is an honest statement or not, but he said, quote, unquote, I eat one meal a day drink one coffee, and eat like three or four bags of candy. So yesterday I woke up, worked out, worked out again, came home, showered. I'm hungry. Run to Starbucks, get a quick coffee. That's going to hold me to like four, five o'clock. This 12. Okay. So it's going to hold me for like four hours. Dang. Around 4.30, I ordered some candy and a water. So I got, what did I get yesterday? Got the Skittles gummies. Then I got uh, the Lifesaver Creations. They the same size bag, so I just mix them. So it's safe to say we're going to see a DK gummy at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Okay, y'all heard it. Um, Another certified Certified moment. moment. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get the gummy, get the candy, get the water, eat that. That's going to hold me to like 8 o'clock where I'm having dinner, 8, 9. And then I eat dinner, go to sleep. I, I could not tell if he was being serious or not. I just thought it was, I really wanted to bring it up. Something I saw this week. I thought it was the craziest thing I've ever heard for a pro athlete to be in three or four bags of candy and be the fit, as fit as he is. I thought it was the craziest thing, but you guys, I know Fouad's got something about the Lakers, Jared, let me hear what you got, but Fouad, go ahead first. Um, you know, I feel like that's, that's crazy for him to say that his physique is impeccable for him to eat like one meal a day. I just don't, I think he just said it for, for comments, for publicity, but, you know, bags of candy it sort of reminds me of Marshawn Lynch when he used to always be having a bag of Skittles on the sidelines before games and after games. But, you know, definitely an interesting take by DK Metcalf. Jared, any, any final thoughts on this episode? Do you want to refute on that? And then, Fouad, if you want to go back, I know you had something else. Uh, I'll get back to you in a second. But, Jared? Yes. I actually saw something interesting uh, going on about DK Metcalf in the Jets. I, I saw – that the Jets actually, there's rumors that they put in a trade offer, including their first overall pick, their their tenth pick this year, to get a trade for DK Metcalf, and the Seahawks just just refused it. They they said that they I will more say, Jared, for- that as of yesterday, I did see things from Jets reporters that the Jets were trying to call and actively trade for him, but Seattle's not taking calls. I saw that that that, that Seattle is just not taking any calls right now. I don't know if that's the same thing. Yes, you know, it is. I just find it find it strange that the Seahawks wouldn't want to move away from something because the wide receiver market is so is it's so inflated right now. You have people getting trades for numerous first round picks. The the amount of money that you're spending on locking down wide receivers, you just just had Stefan Diggs signed a, a new extension, 104 million dollars. So the market is going so high up for wide receivers. I just find it very strange that the Seahawks aren't even open to that type of conversation. But I just thought it'd be something nice to bring up as a Jets fan. 
you know, it might be nice to have a big, uh, big time wide receiver. Yeah, there was talks. I talked about it last week on my last show that there's talks of AJ Brown potentially or DK Metcalf. I think the Jets get a wide receiver, whether it's in the trade or in a draft. They're going to get a wide receiver at one point in this month. I believe it. It's going to happen. And uh, hopefully they can lock that up, get Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, and get one more guy in there. But Fouad, um, let's round, round it out for us. What do you got? Your final thought for today's episode before we close it out. I mean, I know we didn't talk much about basketball today in our episode, but, you know, something that's been bothering me for the past couple of days, you know, as you guys may know that the Lakers missed the playoffs. This team on paper, presently constructed with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook, had the best odds in the preseason to win it all. And for me, my personal take on this, this might be the best team on paper to ever miss the playoffs. I don't know if anyone, I don't know if you guys will agree with me on this, but any team that has LeBron James and misses the playoffs, it's always a shock. LeBron James is my favorite player. And to see the Lakers go out the way they did, like, I, I feel like it was disappointing for the sole fact on because of the Lakers culture. You know, something about the Lakers culture is they only embrace winning and winning titles. And when you go out and don't even make the playoffs, this is an absolute disappointment season for the Lakers. And to do it in the way they did, I know they were facing many injuries with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, missing many games, missing a better part of two months of the season. You know, it's incredibly disappointing, but I just want to hear what you guys think. Is this one of the most disappointing seasons you've seen out of a team with this much talent on their roster and missing the playoffs? What do you guys think? For me, I think this is probably the, the ultimate biggest disappointment I've ever seen unfold uh, in basketball, in the NBA, right? You bring in Russell Westbrook, right? You got AD, you got LeBron, okay? Carmel Anthony comes over, uh, they, they pick him up, they sign him. I, I, just, I just find it so funny that, that a team built like this falls apart and not only misses the playoffs, they miss the play-in tournament, right? So they miss it all together. Uh, yeah, just, just one of the bigger disappointments in everybody, everybody, not I'm talking every single person I ever talked to about the NBA this past offseason said, oh, yeah, for sure. Lakers, number one, they're going. Uh, they're, they're the team to beat. Uh, yeah, uh, just a complete and utter disaster in Los Angeles, and I, I don't think anything can compare to it right now i just just wow lebron missing out 80 they had the injuries flawed but man 80s missed some time a lot of time and just wow and russell westbrook i really don't think he panned out the way they wanted them to just a really big disappointment i agree with you and uh over there for the lakers but go ahead but you know the biggest thing for me is what i'm incredibly disappointed in is that we weren't able to see this lakers team at full strength throughout the whole season i know that you know, the injuries really cre creep in for this team. But at the end of the day, what this season really proved to me, and I really hate to say it, I thought that LeBron James would be able to change Westbrook's playing style and make him acclimate more to being a team player. But after this season, I can truly say that Russell Westbrook is not a team player. I don't think that's the one thing that holds him back from winning a championship. If we're talking about Russell Westbrook on a championship winning team, I just think everyone's crazy 
if you're talking about Russell Wilson, uh, Russell Westbrook being on a championship winning team, I just think he's not that type of player. He's that type of player that's going to play relentless. He's going to get you the numbers. But in terms of winning a championship, I just don't think Russell Westbrook fits that mold whatsoever. I feel like they're definitely going to trade him this offseason. I think you guys will echo me on that. I love what you, I just love what you just said. Yes, we haven't seen them at their full potential. The same thing you could say about the Brooklyn Nets this past season. Yeah, just if you had them at full potential, what could they have been? I just think really with the injuries and Westbrook not panning out the way they wanted him to, just really fell apart not only under their knees, but really flat out in front of everybody being a big market team, just a complete disaster. Jared, uh, did you have a thought on that? Yeah, so I've, I've never been the uh, the biggest on basketball. I, I do follow what goes around. And I think this, this the Lakers missing the playoffs, it says something more about sports in the, over the past couple of years as a whole. Sometimes going bigger and going all in on something it doesn't always work. Like in football, we see, you know, Buccaneers, they get Tom Brady. They win the Super Bowl. Matt, uh, Rams, they get Matt Stafford. They win the Super Bowl. So all these teams are now, they're putting all the chips into the table. They're going all in. They're ready to win and they're ready now. But I feel like having all these great players on a team, it's not as important as the chemistry that is created between the players. Like if you think about it, who would have thought the beginning of the season the Bengals were going to the Super Bowl? No, no one did. No one did. Unless you're a diehard Bengals fan. Even then, they didn't even think they're going to win a playoff game. But the they they jived with each other so well. That they uh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. That's that's the number one thing is chemistry. They they hit the ground running. They had a phenomenal season for a rookie rookie wide receiver and a quarterback that was just barely barely playing. So I feel like this having so much talent isn't the most important thing for a team to be successful. And I feel like that's what the Lakers and LeBron James missing in the playoffs. I think that's what it says about sports as a whole. You know, Jared said it best right then and there, you know, uh, it says a lot about sports. You know, we look at this, we look at the Lakers and what they did. They lean towards more of getting veterans so they could teach their younger players how to win. But, you know, those veterans just weren't able to hold up all throughout the season. And that's just what ultimately hurt the Lakers down the stretch. Those veterans just weren't able to stay healthy down the stretch. And that's the thing you look at with a lot of these teams. They're young. They're hungrier. The Lakers had the veteran leadership. But when you look at it on paper, they weren't the most athletic team. They weren't the most skilled team. They Yes, they won a lot with you know, Carmelo Anthony hasn't really won a championship. You look at Anthony Davis and LeBron James, they have a championship pedigree. But at the end of the day, this just proves that just having veterans on your team is not going to put you over the top. Yeah, I think you guys said it best. Um, but we're going we're gonna to wrap it up for today. I really appreciate you guys coming on. What the fans don't know, we had some technical difficulties today. So I appreciate you guys sticking it out and, uh, and kept, keep it rolling with me. I know, Fwad, you got to get going. So we're ready to wrap this up. We're out of time today. But thank you for joining me on another edition of Jake's Takes. Of course, I'll be back next Saturday to provide more takes. We've got a lot to cover coming up. Remember to visit Tunnel Vision Sports at tvsportsmag.com and follow our Instagram at tunnelvisionsports underscore and our Twitter account at tvsports. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, guys, or follow, leave a like, comment, rating, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for, for, for Fouad Farouk, and Jared Danko, I'm Jake Serrano signing off.
And once again, thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. Keep it up. Keep listening. Uh, we got more content coming out for you guys, and I really appreciate it. And remember to, remember to keep up with all your sports needs with Tunnel Vision Sports, a positive shift in sports media. We get it popping, homie, day and night. Day and night. Got the party jumping, about to break the ice. Stay up on my grind, that's my way.